Welcome to Talking Agility, a podcast from Accenture. Your host is Elitsa Necheva. My guest today is Michael Bazigos. Michael is the Global Managing Director of Accenture's Organization and People Analytics Business. His work focuses on performance through data-driven insight-led consulting. Michael joins us today from my favorite city in the world, New York. Welcome, Michael. It is a real pleasure meeting you. Thanks, Ali. Appreciate the opportunity to talk. To start with, I wonder if you might describe to us the kind of work that you do with our clients and more specifically, focusing on making the connection between analytics and agility. Sure. That that comes in a couple of different ways. Uh, One way that we work with clients is to help them navigate through transformation, any kind of transformation. It might be a good to great transformation. It might be a transformation to move to a digital culture. Uh, It might be actual digitization or automation of work processes. Uh, But whatever it is, it turns out that there are certain commonalities about how change gets done. And at Accenture, we've developed a capability. Uh, We call it transformation GPS. Mm -hmm. And it's an analytic system that's based on an analytic layer of advanced analytics that has been put on top of, sort of like a mushroom cap, on top of an archive of uh, over a million and a half uh, employee responses, um, covering 600, uh, almost 700 change efforts across a couple of decades um, with over 250 companies. And uh, we have a model for change that includes uh, 10 different drivers and a couple of situational variables that we measure, uh, we can tell with a high level of uh, scientific certainty which levers of the 10 um, and how many and in what sequence a client needs to pull in order to get to higher performing end state. The philosophy behind it, to manage by the evidence, uh, because everybody, it turns out, thinks that they can do change until change actually happens. And there's a wide variety of outcomes that we have seen uh, among our clients and out there among non-client companies also. Some of those make the news. Um, Most change efforts actually don't have a high rate of success. Uh, We believe that by taking an evidence-based point of view and playing the odds, Mm -hmm. finds uh, a probability-based decision support system that helps them make better decisions, sort of like the movie Moneyball, where a pretty mediocre team ended up winning the World Series simply by making thousands and thousands of small decisions uh, that played the odds, like putting a a same-handed pitcher against a power batter. Turns out uh, that's the best thing you can do. Highest prop doesn't guarantee uh, that the batter won't uh, get a hit, um, but it actually does a lot better than having the opposite-handed pitcher in there. Uh, we do the same thing organizationally. So that's that's one context, giving clients evidence-based support uh, in navigating their change journeys. We became interested in the topic of agility, and that is because we noticed that some companies just seemed to be more naturally responsive in the face of needing to change than others. Um, and it wasn't many companies, so uh, we used um, 
internal organizational survey data that we had on almost 300 different companies um, over a long period of time. And we looked um, across these companies, and by the way, there were something like uh, 180,000 uh, responses subsumed under this. Um, and we really, really mined, we tortured the data, you could say, and we came out with two factors that were really important in explaining which organizations were truly agile and separating them from the ones that weren't. Mm-hmm. We were actually able to put uh, scientific validity behind our instincts. And one of the factors was uh, something that we call velocity and adaptiveness, which everybody assumes is synonymous with agility. Um, and it's important and it's necessary, but it's insufficient because the other thing that these companies needed was a certain foundational base of stabilizing processes, uh, people, and structure. And the idea, the very idea that velocity and adaptiveness or speed, if you will, um, and stability were something that companies could maximize at the same time was counterintuitive. People think speed or stability, pick one, you can't have both. Well, actually, a small percentage of our companies, um, the companies we studied, about 12% did have both. Uh, those were the ones we call truly agile because they had the ability to maintain their balance, if you will, um, even as they were uh, pushing the throttle um, and moving at ever greater uh, speed. They were the ones who were first to market new products and services, it turns out. They were the ones with, uh, over the long term, uh, had uh, uh, better financial results. Uh, we looked at the truly agile companies in our database and compared them on a financial metric called uh, EBITDA. It basically stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And when we looked at the uh, nine to 10 year history of the truly agile companies and compared them with all the other companies in our database, they far, far outperformed uh, all of the other companies. And we think there's something to that. It was the same companies that had high levels of speed, uh, velocity, and adaptiveness, mm-hmm. and high levels of what we call a foundational base of stability um, that gave them the edge. And for the benefit of our listeners, would you was there a specific industry that these companies were coming from, or was it a spread representation? It was uh, statistically a spread representation, but uh, although there were no outright statistically significant differences, there were some broad patterns that we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out that organizations that came from uh, regulated environments, like financial services, for example, mm-hmm. uh, had uh, an overrepresentation of organizations that fell into a category we called at risk. What that meant was you had low levels of velocity and adaptiveness and uh, relatively low levels of stability. There were other other industry sectors that fell into that and um, energy companies Mm -hmm. and pharmaceuticals uh, to other regulated industries were in there. It was interesting to us though that some companies within that, even within that, there were some companies that still made it into truly agile Um, And it was always interesting to understand what made those companies different Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I, uh, against the same, the very same backdrop of regulation um, and scrutiny, they were able to still move at speed, uh, maintain velocity and adaptiveness, um, and as far as we know to this day, stay uh, mm -hmm. clean, if you will, with a very agencies around the world it, it does make sense that um, financial services firm may score lower on the velocity and adaptiveness when compared with other industries given in in mind how all these organizations are from the perspective of they have been founded many many years ago and they are naturally trained to mitigate risk and uncertainty and uh, me working with my clients I, I do see that um, from a behavioral standpoint on a regular basis but the financial services companies also scored low on having strong stabilizing backbone or foundational base did that finding surprise you and how how would you and your team account for that result yeah, that was uh, a little surprising to us uh, because we thought that uh, many of the same institutions that uh, we looked at were the same institutions that actually had a fairly long mm -hmm. history as uh, corporations. And uh, we know that uh, financial services firms uh, rely, uh, perhaps sometimes arguably over-rely on uh, prudent risk management and uh, mm -hmm. large capital reserves. Uh, we think that some of that um, some of the findings uh, of being a little bit lower on stabilizing base may have come because of from the disruption uh, that some of these companies are beginning to face uh, from uh, fintechs, you know, uh, young, nimble financial services firms um, and undoing established processes in order to move faster um, and do things differently. Uh, so it may be we surveyed them at a time when they were um, at a pivot point. Uh, going through change. Um, we also think that uh, the importance of leadership and culture is uh, reign supreme. And that is one thing that can give mm -hmm. uh, an organization higher scores um, on the stabilizing um, foundational base, as we call it. Uh, and it may be that because uh, we are seeing um, a business era, uh, probably business decade, where CEO tenures are getting shorter and shorter, uh, organizational culture is being yes. sometimes turned on its head uh, with the advent of large shocks to the system, large exogenous shocks to the system. Think, think of 2008 or 2007 through 2009, mm -hmm. uh, great global recession, um, the hit the financial services industry took. Uh, that may have caused a certain amount of uh, destabilization, mm -hmm. uh, which reflected in the survey scores. And We've also said that true agility requires both speed and stability. And we often talk about learning to ride the bike, but I understand that you prefer to use another metaphor. Would you tell us which one it is? <laughs> it's a motorcycle. We uh, <laughs> have to show a picture when we present on this of um, a gigantic and I might say, you know, fat squat motorcycle called the Dodge Tomahawk, which can reach top speeds of 350 miles an hour, uh, or for the non-US part of the world, 560 kilometers per hour. Wow. Uh, exactly. And so how does it go <laughs> so fast without tipping over? And, you know, personal disclosure, I own a motorcycle license, but uh, I did not feel 
I, I could be on that bicycle even at a low speed when I saw how much uh, solid and thick it was. What it did have was a massive stable wheelbase. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like a classical motorcycle wheel of the kind that we all know. It's got to be at least 18 inches, about a foot and a half um, in width. Uh, and it has uh, a double front tire and a double back tire. Well, that to me is uh, symbolizes metaphorically, you know, organizational stability because this is a motorcycle that's going to go at top speed and there is no chance, um, it seems, on visual inspection, that uh, this motorcycle will tilt, uh, spill over um, because of a small dent in the uh, front or back wheel uh, or a wobbly wheel. These are really solid wheels. And so um, we thought that the faster an organization move moves, the more stability it needs um, in order to prevent it from, you know, losing balance. And that's the motorcycle image that we use. You're listening to Talking Agility. To learn more and to get in touch with us, visit Accenture.com forward slash Talking Agility. Do you think people are surprised by an analytics-based approach transformation? And in, in your experience, have you encountered examples of accepted sort of common wisdom about change with the data that's actually not support? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so one piece of accepted wisdom uh, or received wisdom is that uh, all big change comes from the top. Mm-hmm. There, are, um, there are enough examples of where change did not come from the top. Uh, but actually, uh, the top either had created the conditions that allowed bottom-up innovation to occur, um, or uh, it happened and uh, management was smart enough to see what was going on uh, and amplify it. And an example of the latter uh, comes from uh, the chief talent development officer, chief talent officer, I believe, of General Motors, uh, Michael Arena, mm-hmm. who uh, documented uh, in a book that was recently released uh, the path that General Motors uh, traveled to move from what most people uh, had perceived as an old stodgy organization uh, that couldn't do much that was new just by dint of size mm-hmm. to organization that actually made a few really um, nimble and in some people's eyes, unexpected move, um, especially um, after their second uh, version or rebirth uh, following uh, the bankruptcy of uh, 2000, uh, the late 2000s. Uh, so what happened was there uh, had been uh, an organization uh, within GM uh, that was charged with innovation, um, that was broken up and uh, distributed across a number of different parts of the enterprise. But these people had worked together for a while and they had social glue. Yes. That's an unofficial phrase, but what it means is they had you know, a good amount of uh, trust uh, between each other. Um, they sort of had a feeling of interdependence and a feeling of community. And although they were officially broken up and dispersed into uh, so many business units, uh, they stayed in touch. 
they began innovating and holding what were what today we would call design thinking sessions. And they began to focus uh, in one particular one of these groups um, on figuring out new ways to capture the hearts and minds of a new generation of buyers uh, that was you know, hitting the consumer market um, whose first uh, choice of vehicle may not have been uh, a Cadillac, and they were focused on the Cadillac brand. Uh, there came a point where they asked um, a number of people in their own design thinking session who were millennials, early millennials, uh, what they thought of Cadillac. And they said, well, it's a pretty good car, but you know, I'm not into owning anything. A lot of people, a lot of my friends, people in my generation were into experiences, but I'll tell you what, if you let me have, say, you know, a Cadillac Escalade one week and a sport coupe the next week and some other car the following week, you know, kind of like zip car style. Yeah. And you formed some kind of a leasish financial arrangement. I might be interested in that. Um, and that's how a program called Book by Cadillac was born. Oh. And that became a winner. Uh, Michael Arena the, uh, captured that. Um, and um, at, at, at some peril, uh, perhaps to his career, uh, because he received initial pushback, he began sponsoring more and more of these sessions, and uh, the results continue to be good. Um, they found some executive sponsors really quickly, but here's an example of where success came bottom-up. It was not a top-down program. In fact, if they started that way, mm-hmm. uh, one could argue it may have been killed before it started, uh, was adopted um, and uh, now becomes part of the, you know, lifeblood of uh, some of the more uh, innovative and uh, ingenious design processes of that organization. Yes, and, and we, um, in, in at least in my work, we borrow the principles of design thinking very often to co-create with um, our clients and uh, really work together. And uh, that was a really great example, Michael, and it's it, sort of brings um, the point that agility is more than just doing agile or, or moving agile beyond IT. It's about employees stepping up to embrace ambiguity, embrace a different mindset, a way of working, but also leadership um, working in order to sustain that type of mindset. So that was a very powerful example. And on that note, um, also, I would like to very much thank you for your time, um, for spending um, some time of your busy morning to speak to us about um, enterprise agility, about the transformation GPS. I'm sure we're going to share a link to our research findings on our website. If you would like to get in touch with any of us, please visit Accenture.com forward slash talking agility and click on the contact us button. We'd love to hear your feedback in your own journeys towards agility. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you tune in next time.